Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Good morning. My name is Marty Scott, and I am one of the college pastors here at Grace Bible Church. And uh, part of what I oversee is our college grace groups and our missions. And, uh, and I, I love both of them, but one of the most exciting things I get to do is, uh, is recruit and mobilize for 50 to 70 students to go overseas every summer. So we send them all over the world to, uh, to reach out to other students uh, on university campuses around the globe and share the gospel with them. So it's a, a really exciting opportunity for students. And, and for years, I have wanted to take my family on one of those trips. And so people have kind of told me I'm crazy because we have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And, uh, but we've, we've wanted to do that. And for years, we haven't been able to do that because we've you know, been pregnant or there's been other things that have been going on and we just couldn't go. Uh, but finally, this time last year, I was told, uh, Marty, if, if you want to be crazy and take your kids and your family overseas for six weeks, go for it. And so uh, Andrea and I started planning the Great Scott Greece Adventure of 2017, and we began to make plans to take our family to Greece for six weeks. And uh, the first step in that process was passports. Andrea and I had passports, but none of our kids had ever gone overseas, so they didn't have passports. So I called, uh, I don't know if you know, but on campus, there's a passport office. So I called the passport office on campus, and I set up an appointment for us to come in and, and get everything done, to work through everything. And at the end of the phone call, I told the girl I was talking to, uh, just to let you know, the circus is coming to town. Like, it's going to be crazy. My kids are going to tear your office apart. And she was like, no, no, it's great. We love kids. Like, we have kids come in all the time. It's going to be fine. And I was like, I know you say that, but you need to be ready. And she was like, look, if you're that worried, here's what you can do. Get everything prepped before. And so print out the applications, get the pictures done. Come on in. It'll take 20 minutes. No big deal. So that night I sat down and I worked through all the applications. It took me like 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Uh, they're, they're long applications. And for three kids, it took a long time. Uh, the next day, we went to Walgreens and uh, got the pictures taken, which for three kids is, is really hard to do because it's a big screen uh, that's this high. And I, Bennett at the time wasn't even one years old. So I can't be in the picture with him. So I had to stand in front of this screen and like squat and hold him up in the middle of Walgreens as high as I could while Andrea danced around behind the camera to get a one-year-old to try to look at the camera long enough to get his picture taken. So we looked like complete goofs up there, but we did it. We got everything done. And so the morning of our, our appointment came, and we walk in ready. And we walked in, and the first thing I noticed is there's this big table along the wall with um, this, all these neatly organized brochures and pamphlets and business cards and little, like, balls, globes, and, and all these different things. And I just thought like that, that table is a goner, right? Like that thing is going to be completely wiped clean by the time my kids get done with this thing. Uh, but the girls, they came around the desk and they came over with a box of toys with superheroes, which are my kids' love language. And they, they pulled these things out and my boys like sat down on chairs and started playing with them. And I was like, you know what? This could work. Like, we could do this thing. We could get passports. So I, I walked to the desk, and I opened up my file folder, and I started looking in there, and I realized we had forgotten the passport photos. 
So I was like, oh, man. The girl, super gracious, like, look, we have a screen. Your wife and I, we can go over there, and we'll start taking the pictures. And you just work through the applications with someone else. It's like, all right, we can do this. So she goes over, and they, they grab one kid, and they start taking pictures. And I pull out the stack of papers, and I grabbed a stack of bills instead of the stack of applications. So I'm just like, oh, no. Like, a little part of me died in this moment. And I just think... We're done. But uh, she's like, a computer's over there. You go start working on this computer. We'll do pictures. I'm like, all right. The problem with that is uh, Andrea, my wife, could only have one kid at a time doing pictures. And I couldn't do anything with kids because I'm working on these applications. So at all times, there are two kids that are just running. And so that's when that table began to get destroyed. Like they, they saw it as a game to see if they could get every single piece of paper on there and build a, how high can we build piles? And, and they just started messing with everything. And those superhero toys that were so nice started flying across the room. And, and I just think like it could not get any worse. And then I look over and my three-year-old is standing there completely still with a puddle of pee underneath him. And I just think, come on. Uh, come on. And so we grab him, we clean him up, we, we mop up the pee. I get the applications done. My wife gets the photos done. We sit down with the consultant. We work through everything. And what was supposed to take 20 minutes took a beat down of an hour and a half. And we were toast. I mean, we were just done, but uh, we had done it. We had sent off the applications and we were ready to move forward. So we went to lunch and we're sitting there at lunch and we're letting the kids run around and we're on campus. And, uh, and we start talking about the morning. We're kind of laughing so that we don't cry. Uh, it's one of those moments. And we're talking about the morning, and we realized that as hard as that morning was, our trip to Greece was going to be exponentially harder. I mean, we were going to have to take three kids and all of our luggage through an airport. And then we're going to have to sit in an airplane for 14 hours. Like, my kids can't sit still for 14 minutes. And so the idea of sitting on a plane for 14 hours was just brutal to think about. And then we're going to get to Greece and we're going to live in a hotel for six weeks in a hotel with three kids. Um, And we were going to live out of uh, our bags for that time. And and we began to realize this is going to be hard. This this is not going to be comfortable. This is not going to be easy. This is going to be really hard. And we began to ask ourselves, is this what's best for our family? Is this really what's best for our family to go and to do something crazy like this? The world tells us that contentment is found in comfort. That contentment is found in what's easy. It's found in security. It tells us that these are the things that we're to strive for with our jobs, with our careers, for, uh, for comfort, for security, for, for ease of life. This is what the world presents us. The, the marketing industry is built off of this idea that we should uh, find contentment in comfort, in, in things being easier. So this is, you know, they tell us the phone in your pocket cannot make you content because there's a new phone out there that's going to make your life easier. There's a new phone out there that, that's going to make everything go smoother and faster. And so don't be content with what's in your pocket. This will make you more content. It's the same with, with clothes. This style won't make you content anymore because there's something more. And what we see is there's always a little bit more. Jacob said this last week. There's always a little bit more out there. What we realize is we will never be content with the things that we have. 
And we won't be content with, with comfort or with security easy either. If you, look at, if you look at the people who should have the most comfortable lifestyles, the easiest lifestyles, that have the most security, it's, it's uh, the athletes and, and those in the entertainment industry, it's those kind of people. And none of them are content, right? The athletes are always striving for more. They're always looking for something else. They're always looking for more money or more wives or, or more of anything, but they're not content. They're always looking for something else. And those are the people that have the most comfort, that have the most security. The inter- entertainment industry, it's in shambles right now because nobody's content with what they have. They all want more and they're the most comfortable. They're the people with the most security. What we see is we will never be content with comfort or with security or with ease of life. We will never be content in our circumstances. Our circumstances can't bring contentment. Giglio uh, and Goliath must, here we go. Giglio and Goliath must fall says, comfort is perhaps the scariest giant of them all. It's so subtle in its deception. It's the giant that causes us to miss the very best because we have settled for something good. If comfort, if ease and security are just good, but they're not the best, then what is the best? What will bring contentment? As students, this is a question that you might not realize it. It's on the forefront of your thinking. When you're thinking about what degree should I get? What career should I choose? What job should I take out of college? One of the main questions you're asking is, will this make me content? Or am I picking the right degree so that I can be content? Am I picking the right job so that I can be content later on? Contentment is on the forefront of our mind. And so we need to know, what is it that will bring contentment? Is it our circumstances? Is it our job or career? Or is it something else? And Paul tells us in Philippians 4 that he has discovered the secret to contentment in any circumstances. He's figured out how to be content no matter what is going on in his life. So if if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians 4. We're going to look at a few little verses, just four little verses, Philippians 4, 10 through 13. If you don't realize, and this is a little background, we've been studying Philippians all semester, so we shouldn't need too much more background, but I'm going to give you a little bit. Philippians is like a giant thank you letter. So the Philippian church, they, they sent a bunch of money to Paul, and, uh, and Paul appreciated that money. And so at the very beginning of Philippians in chapter 1, he starts to thank them for the money, and then all of a sudden he rabbit, tra- rabbit trails into one of the most beautiful letters ever written. But it starts out for like two verses as a thank you letter, and then he gets distracted, and great things happen. And it takes him four chapters to get back to thanking them for their gift. And so uh, he starts out in like chapter 1, verse 3, thanking them diverges, and then comes back, chapter 4, verse 10, he finally comes back and says, hey, thank you for participating in the gospel with me. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. So uh, thank you for giving. Thank you for your showing your concern for me by giving me this gift. I know you wanted to before, you couldn't, but now you have. That's great. And then Uh, He does something that, you know, if you're writing thank you letters, you should never do. He says, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Uh, So this is, you know, if grandma and grandpa buy you something that you you want for Christmas, like a TV. And uh, and you get that TV and you're writing a thank you letter for grandma and grandpa. And in the letter, you're like, hey, grandma and grandpa, I really appreciate the TV. But I didn't really need it because I've learned to be content without a TV. And I've done really well without a TV. 
but thank you, but, but I didn't really need it, you know? And, and you're kind of like, you're thankful, but you're also, you're, you're showing that you didn't really need it. And what Paul's doing here, you should never do that in the thank you letter, but what Paul's doing here is he's going to use this for one last teaching moment. He's going to use this, uh, this gift to teach them one more thing, and it's that we can be content no matter what circumstance you're in. So he says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Paul has discovered the secret of contentment and has nothing to do with his circumstances. He can be rich or poor, hungry or filled or thirsty. It doesn't matter. He has found contentment in all of those things. And in verse 13, he tells us why. It's because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What he's saying is in all circumstances, no matter what's going on in my life, I can be content because it is Christ who is my focus. We've talked about focus all semester. Here Christ is saying, I can be content no matter what's happening in my life because Christ and Christ alone is my focus. And when Christ is your focus, you can be content no matter what is happening in your life. When Paul's writing this, he's in jail. And he's saying, even in prison, I am content because Christ is my focus. You should not, it's hard to get to that place where you can be content in jail. But he says, I'm content because Christ is my focus. So I'm sitting here in a jail cell and I'm trying to figure out, how do I make Christ known in this moment? And so the, the guard is standing outside and he's saying, I'm going to share the gospel with him. And so he's preaching the gospel to the people guarding him and they're coming to Christ. And he says, Christ, in this moment, he can be shipwrecked. And when he's shipwrecked, he's focused on Christ and he's content. He can be rich and he's focused on Christ. He can be poor and he's focused on Christ. In all circumstances, he's focused on Christ and Christ alone. And he's able to be content knowing that God has placed him in those moments and giving him those opportunities in jail or shipwrecked or rich or poor to preach Christ and to make Christ known. And so he's completely content there. He's able to say this because of a a crazy verse that he said four chapters later. At the beginning in chapter one, verse 22, he says, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And what he's saying there is, um, if I get out of jail and I'm able to live through this experience, Christ, and I'm gonna make Christ known and praise me, God, I'm gonna talk to you more and more about Christ and I'm gonna build in these churches about Christ. So if I live, Christ. But if I die, what he says is it's even better. If I die today, it's even better because I get to be with Christ and I get to see him. And he's content with life and he's content with death. And if you can get to that place, and that's a hard place to be at, I'm, I struggle with that. But if you can get to that place where you can say, I'm content with life because it's Christ, and I'm content with death because it's Christ, then when you're in jail, Christ. And when you're shipwrecked, Christ. And when you're poor, Christ. And when you're hungry, Christ. And when you don't get the job that you always thought you needed, Christ. And when you struggle on a test that you thought you were going to pass, Christ. And when you have roommates that are hard 
it's an opportunity to make Christ known, to love them and to pour into them. And so in all of these circumstances, they are opportunities to make Christ known. And that is where contentment is found. Contentment is not found in circumstances, but in Christ, in Christ alone. And so some of you might be thinking, well, Marty, when I was in high school, I wrote Philippians 4.13 on my helmet. So what's up with that? Um, or I wrote on my cleat or my locker. And, and, uh, and what's happened with this verse is when you just kind of look at it and you don't look at anything else, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We begin to think, well, if that's true, then if I have enough faith, if I pray this enough, if I ask Jesus to do this, he's going to allow me to overcome whatever I'm facing. So whatever obstacle is coming up, I'm going to be able to defeat it. I'm going to be able to beat it. I'm going to be able to win there. I'm going to be successful in whatever, uh, whatever's in front of me. And so the, the football player writes this verse on his helmet or on his little black strip right here that does something. And, um, and he writes it there because he thinks that if I believe this enough, I'm going to win this game. God will make me successful. Or you're walking into a test or a job interview and you say, God, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And if I believe this enough, he's going to make me success- successful in this test or in this interview so I can get this job that I want. And this is not what Paul's saying. He's saying something completely different than this. He's saying that if, if that's the mindset going into that game or, or going into that job interview, what it's saying is this game, winning this game will make me content. Getting this job will make me content. And God, strengthen me to be content in this job or in this game. And if that's true, then Paul's sitting here saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Get me out of jail so that I can actually go and be free. That's what Paul would be saying. But he's saying, no, in any circumstance, I am content because it is Christ who is my focus. And so that football player, he can write this on his helmet and it's completely applicable, but for different reasons. What that football player needs to be saying is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so if we win this game, praise be to God, Christ. If we lose this game, I'm gonna make Christ known. And if I blow out my ACL in the middle of this game and can never play football again, Christ is my focus, and that is an opportunity to make Christ known. I can, do, I can be content in any outcome of this game because Jesus Christ is my focus and not football. And you're walking into that job interview. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If I get that job, that's Christ, and I'm gonna make him known in whatever job he puts me in. If I don't get that dream job, God's gonna put me in a different opportunity to make him known. I can go any outcome from this job interview, from this test, and be content because Christ and Christ alone is my focus. Andrea and I, we went to Greece. We were crazy, and, uh, and we did it. Uh, we went, and uh, I'm not going to just like, act like it was horrible. It was Greece. Um, it was beautiful. The people were awesome. The food was great. We had a wonderful time, but it was hard. There were tons of challenges. There were days where, where we were beat down and our kids were, we were exhausted and, and our kids were going crazy. In Greece, they don't go to dinner until eight. And so our kids were going to bed at like 11.30. They go to bed at 7.30 here. They're going to bed at like 11.30 and they still get up at 7.30. It doesn't matter what time they go to sleep. They don't care. It was hard. 
Probably our hardest day, uh, halfway through the trip, we moved from a city called Yanana to a city called Patras. And there's a team in Patras that we were going to go and spend two weeks with. And, uh, and so we were leaving Yanana, we we're going over to Patras, and uh, we had booked an Airbnb in Patras. So we were like, okay, we're going to be moving out of a hotel into an apartment. It's going to be great. We're going to have our own rooms. And uh, we get to Patras, and our apartment is like 30-minute walk away, and it's hot, and we're having to caravan like three kids and five bags and backpacks and all kinds of stuff across this busy city, and it's a beatdown, and we get to the apartment, and there's this little tiny elevator going up to the fourth floor, and literally, like, you could get in, and you could pull your luggage in, and then you kind of have to, like, climb on top of your luggage for the door to close. And so it took like 30 minutes to get everything up to the fourth floor. And we finally got to the fourth floor and I walk in and it's this beautiful apartment. I'm like, yes, we've made it. And this like 50-year-old Greek woman comes up and she starts talking to me and I can't understand hardly anything she says. And she starts giving me this tour of her apartment and showing me different things. And, and I just kind of nod my head the whole time. I'm like, okay, like, great, I don't know what you're saying, but this is super. And she shows me the dishwasher and she seems really concerned about it. She shows me the washing machine. She seems really concerned about it, but I didn't understand, but I nodded my head. That came back to bite us. Um, but um, eventually she shows me everything and she hands me her key and then she just kind of awkwardly stands there. So I'm holding the key and I'm like, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you letting us use your apartment. If we have any problems, we'll call you, but I know she doesn't understand me. Uh, but she nods her head, and then, again, she just stands there. So there's a group of us that had, had helped us get in, and we're all like, okay. So uh, we finally decided, uh, we're going to go to lunch. We'll be back later. Have a, great, have a great week. So we go to lunch, have lunch, come back, and we walk into the apartment, and she's asleep on the couch. And I think, something's wrong. Something's definitely wrong because she's still here. And so I start going through my Airbnb uh, reservation and I realized that I booked our apartment to be shared with her for two weeks. And so her plan was for her to be on the couch for two weeks and for us to be in two little bedrooms and for us to share this apartment with her. And I just thought, there's no way this is going to work because she was already freaking out about our boys destroying her apartment. And there's no way this is going to work. And in this moment, I was just beat down. I was exhausted from the move. I was worn out. I was scared to death to tell Andrea what I had done because I knew that she would be like just crushed. And I just thought, what's happening? And in that moment, I had to remember that I wasn't in Greece to be in a nice apartment. I wasn't there to be comfortable, to have a sweet apartment looking over the Mediterranean. That's not why I was in Greece. I was in Greece for Christ and to make Christ known. And if that meant having a 50-year-old Greek woman that I couldn't talk to sleeping on my couch for two weeks, then that's what it would mean. But I was there for Christ. I was reminded of this Friday night. Friday night, uh, these lights, they're not up for me. Um, that had been nice. But uh, Friday night, we had a big uh, staff leadership event in here. And so all of the Grace staff, all the, the pastors, the, the directors, the admins, all of the staff were in here, all the elders, all the deacons. And there's this opportunity to worship together and to present vision for where Grace is going. And one of the elders got up here and, and he reminded me of this, that we aren't here to be comfortable. We aren't in this room for our lives to be made easier. We are here because Jesus. We're here because Jesus Christ saw our need and he left what was comfortable. He left heaven where he was by, by the Father 
sitting on a throne and he left that which was perfect and he came down and he became man and he suffered and he died and he was beaten and he's humiliated for you and for me to redeem us and to save us and to rescue us. And he didn't do that for our lives to be made more comfortable. He didn't do that for our lives to be easier. He did that so that we could make him known. He did that so that the world could worship him. And that's never easy. And most of the time, it's not comfortable to do that. It's hard. It's hard work. But that's what he did. And he made us to be content only in that. Not to be comfortable. Not to have easier lives. So if you're here this morning, you're here to be made comfortable. If you're here for an easier life, you are going to be very, very disappointed because that's not the plan that Jesus has for your life. That's not why he's brought you in here. He's brought you in here to make him known. Whether it's hard or uncomfortable or frustrating at times, that's why you're here. So how do we do all things for him who strengthens us? How do we live that way? I think it happens when we make intentional decisions to focus on Christ above all else. We make intentional decisions to focus our life on Christ first and foremost. Giglio, again, later on says, faith thrives in holy discomfort. The greatest moments in life can often result from some of the most uncomfortable decisions being made. Nothing worth having comes without a cost. The greatest moments come from uncomfortable, hard decisions. As you look towards a degree or a career or a job, and you're thinking through what should I choose, what is the criteria you're using to make that decision? Is it which job is going to pay the most? Which job is going to allow you to to retire when you're 50? Or is it Christ? I have a a number of friends who graduated from A&M from the PPA program. So they uh, came out, their accountants, and they were able to take jobs in, in big five companies. I think that's what it's called, big five corporations, something like that. And uh, so they got jobs in those, and, uh, and, and they were making like $60,000, $70,000 a year straight out of college, and, and it was great. And they, but they realized very early on in their jobs that for them to continue to make money, uh, for them to move up the ladder in those companies, and there was a very clear path for them to do that, they would have to give their lives to those companies, and they would have to sacrifice with their family, and they would have to sacrifice in their community and with their church. And so my three or four friends that came out and got jobs in those companies, none of them are working with those companies anymore. Within three or four years, they had all gone on to different things because they realized that if they were going to stay with that company, they weren't going to be able to do the other things that they wanted to do, to be involved in their community. And so they left tens of thousands of dollars on the table to become a police officer so they can be involved in their community. To, to take a job with a smaller accounting firm so that they could be involved in missions, they can involved in their church and in their family. They realized that they had to focus on Christ and they would never be content with just moving up that ladder. It doesn't mean that you can't be wealthy and, and make lots of money and be a godly man or woman. I know plenty of godly men and women who make a lot of money. But first and foremost, Their focus is on Christ. Their focus is on the kingdom of God. And they use that money 
to pour into the kingdom. They're not focused on making money. They're focused on Christ and they happen to be making money with their careers that they can use for Christ and for the kingdom. What is the criteria that you're using as you decide what career to get? As you decide what major to choose or what job to take afterwards? And then begin to make decisions to be a little bit uncomfortable for the gospel. Exactly what Giglio says. Um, at, at Grace, one of the best opportunities you have to make decisions that cause you to, to step out in faith and trust God a little bit more is our summer missions. Like I've been saying earlier, we send uh, 50 to 70 students overseas every year. And for a lot of people, for me, um, it was the first time where I ever took a step of faith for the gospel. It was the first time where I took a step of faith and said, I think this is going to be hard, but I think it will be worth it. And I think this is where you want me to go. And I took this step of faith. And so for our students going on summer trips, for a lot of them, the hardest part about it is talking to their parents. It's that, that conversation where it's like, mom, dad, I want to go to North Africa, or I want to go to East Asia. And, and it's a hard conversation. It's uncomfortable. It's not easy, but they do it. And then they, they, they choose to raise thousands of dollars to be able to go on this trip. And that means calling people and having difficult conversations to raise this money. And it's uncomfortable, but it's worth it. And then you get over there and every day you're going to campus and you're stepping onto a foreign campus and you're walking up to people and you're just like, do you speak English? Do you speak English? Do you speak English? And it's monotonous and it's hard and it's a little bit awkward and it begins to be a beat down. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. And then you get sick. And then the weather turns bad and, and it's just this six weeks of all these things. But at the end of the day, every single one of them will say, it's completely worth it for the sake of Christ. It's completely worth it to take the gospel to the other side of the world to tell people who don't have an opportunity to hear it about our Lord and our Savior. This morning, I have a couple students that are going to come on up, and, and I just want to give them an opportunity to talk to you a little bit about what they experienced this last summer. So we have Jake and Haley. Jake went to North Africa. Where are you at, Jake? Jake went to North Africa this last summer, and Haley was with my family uh, in Patras in Greece. So, Jake, what, what year are you? I'm a sophomore. He's a sophomore. So you went after your freshman year, which is awesome. Um, so uh, you went to North Africa. Why did you decide to go to North Africa? Yeah, so I decided to go to North Africa, um, partly, to be honest, because it was kind of dangerous in my mind. I thought it was dangerous. Um, it's not actually dangerous. And it's actually, yeah, it's not. It's, it's probably one of the safer trips. Um, but uh, I also um, am in international studies, and I'm taking Arabic, and so it was a good opportunity for me to uh, meet uh, Arab people and live in an Arab nation. So like, I thought that would be a cool opportunity for me to share the gospel with that kinda, those kind of people. That's awesome. Hold on. Okay, yeah. Um, so a funny thing, our trips, we, he got to North Africa, I got to Greece at the same time, and a couple days into North Africa, I was laying on the couch reading one morning, and I get this text from a friend of mine who oversees the North Africa Partnership, uh, and the text just says, hey, just a heads up, one of your guys got hit by a car and is in the hospital. And I was like, what? And uh, so I call him immediately. I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, it's fine. He's all right. But he, he just got hit by a car, but he's fine. And, uh, and I was like, okay, um, but you're going to have to give me more details. And, and that person was Jake. He got hit by a car uh, like day three of his time there. So Jake, was that the hardest thing about your trip? Honestly, it wasn't. Uh, it was kind of weird because like she hit me, like the lady hit me. 
and uh, didn't speak any English. We didn't really speak any Arabic. And so uh, we kind of just looked at each other. And like, I was like hit by a car like on the ground and just kind of like stared at each other for a while and then she drove off. Um, <laughs> but the hardest part uh, for me, it was like three or four weeks into the trip and we had already, like the honeymoon phase had worn off and it wasn't, oh my gosh, I'm in another country and this is awesome, I'm sharing the gospel. It was like, oh my gosh, like these people don't want to hear the gospel. These people are tired of it. And I was sitting in the taxi and all I heard the entire day was Arabic, and I just, like, we were in classes, like, trying to learn it, but, like, I just was overwhelmed, and I just, like, was fed up that day. I was like, I have not heard someone speak English to me in four weeks, and the culture is completely different from what I'm used to, and it was just uncomfortable, and I, I thought I was going to explode. I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to get out of here, because the Arabic driver, the, he had the volume turned all the way up on his music, and I was like, oh, my gosh. So it's just like that uncomfortability yeah. was the hardest part. Yeah, that's pretty common for North Africa, especially because the, the culture is just so different than what it's, you know, like in Greece and Stockholm, it's, it's kind of similar. In, in North Africa, it's utterly different. And so it's, it's easy to be overwhelmed by that. Um, you know, it was, it was uncomfortable times. You got hit by a car. Uh, was it worth it and why? Yeah. Um, just like the way my life had gone before the trip, uh, I was kind of like beaten down right before and, and coming to Texas A&M, I was kind of beaten down. And then I went on the trip and I saw, wow, like God has been working this whole time. And he's been molding me and, and pruning me and, and, uh, and, and preparing me for this moment. And this moment, like North Africa, like changed my life. And I, like, I don't want to like think that I'm just start, like overemphasizing, but like it changed my life, the way that I view individuals, the way that I view people here at Texas A&M, the way that I live my life here uh, in Texas A&M. So like, I can honestly say like Texas A&M like changed my perception of who Jesus is to me and, and, and what he has done for me and, and the way that I can live that out. Thanks, Jake. Haley. Haley and I got to hang out in, in Greece for, for a long time and, uh, and it was just a ton of fun. Why did you decide to go to Greece? Um, I kind of decided to go to Greece to be honest, to escape my circumstances at home. And uh, things just kind of fell together. I like randomly got my passport one day. I was like, whatever. <laughs> and then I just randomly signed up for the application and got it. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to Greece. And I was terrified because I'd never been on an airplane before. <laughs> yeah, I remember so, that. <laughs> it was a whole big thing. So I was like in my seat, like talking to the guy next to me. I was like, oh my gosh, I've never been on an airplane. I'm like, ah. I, and then he was like, not having it. Yeah. I, <laughs> and so, I think what made it worse was every time we hit turbulence, everybody on the team would turn and look at Haley and be like, are you all right? And it's like, now everybody's staring at me, so it's even worse. So like all the teams knew that that was the girl that had never been, so I was well taken care of. But needless to say, I did it. But yeah. it was terrifying. And, but, you know, it, I kind of made it, everything was worth it. And then once I got there, um, it was very interesting to see another culture and experience that, but then kind of like Marty's saying, like, it is so, it's harder than you would expect. The fundraising and, like, support raising is hard, but God provides, and it does all come together, and um, people always say that. You're like, oh, God provides. Like, it'll come together, and I was like, whatever, but, like, he does, and it did, <laughs> so that was pretty amazing, and it came together last minute. And then kind of every day you're going to campus and you're trying to like, hi, do you speak English? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And then everybody's like, no. 
And so <laughs> you never, it was so hard because our kind of goal was to find somebody who was a believer. And we just never, it was so hard. And so we were hitting the last week and we like hadn't found a person. And me and my ministry partner, I was like, well, this is a cool hallway. I've never been down it. So we went down this hallway and then there was this random girl sitting in a courtyard. I was like, here we go. So then we talked to her. She wasn't a believer, but she was like, my friend is. I was like, that's cool. Where is she? And she was like, actually right there. And so her friend came over and we started talking to her and she couldn't speak English, but like her friend was translating and we were just telling her that we were here to start like a a Christian group. And that girl just like looked at us and she was like, I've been praying for you. She's like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. And so it took all I had in my body not to just cry in that moment. But I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so just like a moment like that, it's kind of like your purpose, I feel like. I just felt like in that moment that everything that had been going on at home and then like the hardships there and then the support raising, like that one moment for that girl to like look at me in the eyes and be like, I've been praying for you was just like intense. It was amazing. So yeah, summer missions. Ah. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, great. Yeah, you know, that was, there you go. Give him a round of applause. It was cool. I, I was on campus that day. Um, and, and you know, when you're on campus every day and you're being rejected every day, uh, it wears on you. And, uh, and so we were kind of walking through and we saw Haley coming up with her partner and, uh, and they're like, you know, and, uh, and, and Ross and I are like, what, what's going on? And, uh, and they come up and they just start crying, telling us this story. And by the end of the story, we're all just like, oh my gosh, uh, because you're beat down and you're exhausted, but you're able to celebrate Jesus in that moment. And it's amazing. And it makes everything worth it. And you realize I was never going to be content being comfortable this summer, but it's in Christ alone. And so if you have questions about what we do with our summer trips, uh, I would love to answer them after the service. We have fellows that are in the back that are leading our summer trips, and they would love to talk to you about what they're doing. For some of you, uh, you can't go on a summer trip. You, you're working here or, um, or you're, you're working at a camp or, or whatever, and so you can't go on a trip. And so there's other options for you to be able to, um, to sacrifice for the sake of focusing on Christ. And, and one of those things is giving. So we have missionaries all over the world that, that we mobilize and that we send every year to do ministry long-term uh, in our different partner, partner locations. And they have to raise uh, tens of thousands of dollars to be able to go. And that's done by people supporting them monthly. And so if you want to give monthly to one of our Grace missionaries, I would love to talk to you. Um, I would love to help connect you with somebody that, that could use somebody partnering with them uh, monthly uh, for what they're doing overseas. And then, uh, you know, outside of giving financially and, 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 and sacrificing there, uh, be a little bit uncomfortable on Saturday morning. So uh, every twice a semester, we do a thing called Work Project, and we ask our students to give of their time and to give of their energy to be able to uh, serve the church and raise money for college missions. And so uh, we had one yesterday that raised uh, $8,553, which is incredible. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it's 8500 So I think for this semester, we raised over $15,000 to go towards missions. And that's in two Saturdays. And so we have two more Saturdays in the spring. And it's a great opportunity 
for you to be uh, uncomfortable to get up at 8 a.m. on a Saturday, earlier than that on a Saturday morning and come up here and give your time and your energy for the sake of Christ. Um, and so in the spring, we're going to be announcing that some more, and we would love for y'all to participate in that as well. Contentment, like, like what uh, Giglio said, contentment is not found in making easy, comfortable decisions. Jesus did not call us out of darkness and into light for us to, to have easier, more comfortable lives. And we'll never be content if that's what our focus is. A contentment, as Paul tells us this morning, contentment is found in Christ and in Christ alone. To where are you finding that contentment? Pray with me. Father, we, uh, we thank you that you have rescued us, that you have redeemed us uh, from, from the sin, from the death that we were living in, and that you did that to give us a purpose. You did that so that we could live for you, that we could sacrifice, um, that we could be uncomfortable, that we could um, do what's difficult for the sake of the gospel. Lord, I pray that uh, as we make decisions, as we look at what we're doing this summer, as we look at what we're doing after graduation, I pray that you would convict us, that you would move in us, that you would work in our hearts to not be satisfied with what's easy, but that we would pursue, if you're calling us in that way, and that we would pursue the challenge, and that you would make us bold and courageous to do so. Father, we thank you for Jesus who strengthens us to do those things, who strengthens us to serve you no matter what the circumstances are. We love you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.